Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu. And I thought, look, as a, as a collective fan base, we got to take at least a 30-minute break from refreshing Twitter and uh, looking at potential rumors uh, as to whether or not Kevin Durant will eventually become a Raptor and actually focus on some of the things that have tangibly happened to the Raptors roster, which includes uh, the drafting of Christian Coloco with the 33rd pick in this year's draft. And uh, definitely want to get more information on Christian uh, and sort of his background. And so I thought we would bring in Jack Murphy, associate head coach of the Arizona Wildcats. Coach Murphy, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Will. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, really. Um, we definitely needed this break from... You don't understand. In Toronto, it's been all nonstop uh, KD speculation. I imagine it's probably the same in Arizona. No, it's it, it's the same out here for sure. And and everyone's thinking that he's going to the Raptors now. So I'm just I'm here to fire up, drum up some more heat for you guys. Oh right, wait, hold on. So that's the talk out out in Arizona. Is that uh, you guys are? Uh, I guess I, I I don't I don't even know who really knows about these things. Um, yeah, nobody knows. Nobody yeah. knows. But 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 based, uh, you know, I don't know. I think everybody here was hot and heavy thinking Kevin Durant was coming out here, but now it sounds like the Raptors are gaining more steam. So either way, it's an exciting time. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, listen, uh, putting aside KD, I also thought it was an exciting time for the Raptors this offseason because I didn't expect a guy like Christian of his quality to be available at that pick. So I thought it was a really good uh, – bit of luck and also fortune and scouting for the Raptors to, to, to take Christian. So I, I guess I wanted to start potentially at the, the beginning. Um, when did you first become aware of Christian Coloco? Were you involved in the recruitment and anything like that? But just, just your first impression when you first saw Christian Coloco or became aware of him. Yeah. So, so fortunately I was here all three years with Christian. So I got on staff right before he arrived as a freshman in uh, in 2019 so i wasn't involved in the recruitment but uh, but i did coach him his freshman sophomore and junior year and i really got a chance to see his maturation and growth over that time and and i'll be honest when he was first coming from sierra canyon to arizona that we had talked as a staff about possibly redshirting him uh we had great front court in front of him we had zeke naji who was you know an all high school all-american coming ahead and ended up being one and done as the pac-12 freshman of the year we had Chase Jeter returning as a senior. So Christian was almost like a, like a luxury. But once he stepped on campus and started playing with our guys and getting more and more comfortable, even as a freshman, uh, there was no chance we could redshirt him. Uh, he impacted some games later on during his freshman year, uh, more so on the defensive end. And then going into his sophomore year, October of, of Christian's sophomore year, which would have been October of uh, 2020, I'll say this. I mean, he was our best player in practice. I mean, I, mm. Jason Terry was on the staff with us, and and I I remember looking at JT and just saying, "Hey, I don't know if we're going to have Christian for his junior year." Uh, he, he was playing that well for us in practice at that time, and you know, once the season hits, there was COVID. It was you know we took a a self imposed ban that year from the postseason. It was kind of an up and down year for everyone, and I think Christian kind of fell into that up and down roller coaster year. But I, he put everything together this year for his junior season uh, under Tommy Lloyd. And uh, I can't say enough good things. The, the Raptors certainly got a first-round talent with the 33rd pick. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's great to hear. And I think um, – I guess I want to go back to the start of it, just in terms of, like, what was he like at the start when you guys first got him in? What were the sort of areas of improvement 
um, that you guys needed him to to reach um, in order to to crack the rotation. And as you mentioned, I mean, he had a lot of heavy competition ahead of him, right? Um, so obviously he wasn't going to do that right away. But uh, what were some of the immediate areas of improvement that you needed to see from him at the start of when he came into your program? And how did that sort of progress throughout his time? Yeah, I, I think the number one thing was just physically he had to put on weight. You know, when he arrived on campus, he was very thin. Mm. And, uh, you, you know, he I think he weighed somewhere around like 205 pounds when he first stepped on campus as a, a near seven-footer. So obviously very, very thin, hadn't had a lot of experience in the weight room coming in. Um, and and so we put, you know, our strength coach, Christopher Rounds, does a great job, and, and he really put a lot of effort an emphasis in, into Christian about getting him bigger and stronger without losing any of his agility and speed and quickness. And I think you got to give a ton of credit to Christian. And then we always discussed that no one was impacted more by COVID than Christian mm-hmm. because when, March of 2020, when the whole world went on pause, we were in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. Christian had just finished his freshman year. And, and he had to go back home to L.A., you know, for four or five months. You know, guys didn't even come back to campus. They went back home. And so he's in Los Angeles, unable to get into a gym, unable to get into a weight room, really lost some of that momentum that he had built up during his freshman year in terms of the weight room. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that that's something that we, from day one, we said he's got to get bigger and stronger because he always had the ability on the defensive end to impact things, to switch ball screens, contest shots. And then offensively, once he got stronger, his confidence grew on the offensive end, and he was able to finish with dunks, lobs, uh, just more power finishes around the rim, where, you know, when you're weaker and thinner, younger, uh, you kind of get bumped off those spots. So the, the weight room was a critical area for Christian, and, and as you can tell by the finished product right now, I mean, he did a great job in there over the course of his career. Do you, do you know roughly, like, wh- where he's in right now in terms of uh, the weight and – the strength. Added. Yeah, I, I I I don't know exactly right now because I know that he's been doing some stuff getting ready for the draft and mm-hmm, continue. Right. But I, I think he's probably around like two thirty five, almost close to two forty. So that's impressive. Thirty yeah. pounds. Yeah, no, really impressive. And, and it's all good, strong weight. And the thing with Christian is he's much stronger than he, he even looks. And, and and you saw that this year when we when we played him. You know, we played him some at the four. And, and I know Raptors fans probably wouldn't believe that, but in college we played him at the four. Some we have a kid Umar Balo, mm-hmm. who's a young, big, strong, uh, strong guy. So when those two would play together, Christian would be playing, you know, face up foreman and switching out on the perimeter. And and you have to be strong to do that, just because you're fighting through screens, doing some different things that as a normal traditional post you're not doing. Right. I think that probably helped um, increase the confidence of scouts. To, to see that he has the sort of depth in his role because I think it's pretty clear that he could block shots. I mean, I, I think two things, again, I, I you know, I'm not familiar too much with uh, with college basketball, so this is why I really wanted to get the, the perspective here. It's, you know, a couple of things stand out to me just even looking at the box scores. Like, number one, he shot, what, 35% uh, from the free throw line uh, in his freshman year. Now, of course, that was a small sample. Yep. Seven for 20 is, yep. I mean, come on, you can't really judge that. But it seems like he really did make a big jump because the last – season that you could play for you guys 73 percent as a big man and he got to the free throw line enough times too I, can you describe sort of the work that he's put into that area of his game and maybe even just speak to the jumper overall yeah no for sure he he had an opportunity his freshman year to make two free throws to beat oregon if he made one we would have tied and gone to double overtime and he missed them both yeah. and christian's the type of kid where like 
he doesn't get down and depressed after something like that. Mm-hmm. He gets he gets down and fired up, and he wanted to get right back in the gym the next day and work on his free throws. It's something that he worked on every day that he was here. And then his free throw line to elbow jumper to top of the key jumper came along really well. It, it almost reminds me, and I was in Denver with the Nuggets with a former Raptor, a Raptor great, Marcus Camby. Yep. You know, Christian's jumper kind of reminds me of Marcus. Uh, he's got that free throw line top of the key jumper down right now. And I think over time he'll be able to extend it out to three. He's shown a willingness to work and get it better. Um, you know, his freshman year, even his sophomore year to a certain extent, if he was taking a jump shot on the bench, we were having a heart attack. This year we almost were telling him, hey, man, if they're not going to guard you out there because they're sinking in on our other bigs, mm-hmm. you got to make them pay. And so I, I think you saw that confidence grow. He put in a ton of work, and he's got good touch from the perimeter. Uh, j- just like around the rim. So I, I think his skill level on the offensive end has certainly jumped off the page to me over the course of the last year. Right, and I think it took a lot of people by surprise um, because I believe um, at the combine there was a shooting drill and his name popped up. I think he was second in the, in the drill where he hit 16 of 25 from three. Now, I don't know if these were contested. I don't know what the specific drill was, but I, I think there was optimism there because I, I, I think in terms of the scouting where people will probably still say that that's something where it's emerging, but have you seen, I mean, it's, it sounds good that, you know, there are signs of this growth from him. Do you see any of the issue potentially in him stretching it out to the three point? Cause obviously in the NBA nowadays, like almost nobody shoots mid range jumpers in, in, in that fashion anymore. But, um, right. Is that's the key. Can he stretch it out to three in your opinion? I, 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 I think he eventually can. Yes. I mean, I was here at Arizona for four years with Channing Fry, and Channing Fry, I think, made one three in his college career and then ended up becoming one of the most prolific shooting big men that the NBA has ever had. So I'm not saying that he's going to be Channing Fry, but I certainly have seen it, and I've worked out with Christian Nutt enough to see his touch and the feel he has from the perimeter. He will be able to extend it out to three. Will it be his rookie year or you know later on in his second year? I, I can't answer that, but but I do I do believe that he has that within this game. Um, but but I also know that part of the great benefit that Christian is is if he's set in screens, he's amazing as a role guy. He can short roll and make plays out of there. He's a much better passer and ball handler than people give him credit for. And we put our bigs in a lot of those situations. So it's not like he's he's only going to be a stand out, stand still catch and shoot three point shooter. I think Christian can do a lot of things on the offensive end. Yeah, it's definitely exciting to hear for sure. Now, I think um, for for fans and even for scouts, the one thing that's probably really hard for people to see is like what they are like behind the scenes, what they are <laughs> as a teammate, how they work. So, can you speak to a little bit of that? How was how was he as a teammate? Because even you know, you know, as a freshman, I did, I imagine he didn't play all that much. How did he handle not playing all that much? And uh, just was he you know what was his attitude like? Um, just as someone to work with as a person. Yeah, I, Toronto, the city of Toronto, take Christian, the basketball player, out of it. The city of Toronto is blessed to, to have a guy of his character and stature come into to their city. I mean, Christian's as good of a person as I've been around, and I've been around the game of basketball at a pretty high level for over 20 years now. He's, he's an amazing human being. Uh, he's the youngest in his family, the only son with five older sisters, which pretty much means he had six moms growing up. So you know he can take orders and coaching. That's a good man. But he's he, he's he's fantastic in the locker room. I mean, everyone on the team was his friend. Um, when it got down to business and he had to be tough and, and competitive, he certainly could do that. But he walks in every day with a smile on his face. 
and uh, he's a big football fan. And I say like football, like European football. Yeah. He's a big Barcelona fan, uh, loves Messi, uh, does not like PSG very much. So I would throw that in his face a lot. Okay. But he's a, yeah, he's a great guy to have in the locker room and just a great human being. No, that sounds that sounds amazing, and uh, it's, it's good to hear because I know I know the Raptors have really valued like um, the culture that they have built as a as an organization as a team because I think you know especially now when you're thinking about you know you could trade the whole team for Kevin Durant for example and it's like not saying Kevin Durant doesn't fit culture or anything like that but it's just like the Raptors specifically value having these type of characters these type of people in the organization who will work because there's a culture to improve and I feel like he he. Just ba- even just based on you know his accolades, right? Winning Most Improved Player, it's like these are really positive traits that I think will fit the locker room really nicely. Now I want to ask you: Is there like a breakout game where he had that that kind of changed maybe his confidence in in himself at the collegiate level, and also maybe in the coaching staff's confidence? It's like, wow, look at what we have here in this young man. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, like I said, he'd always shown flashes, even small flashes as a freshman, more so as a sophomore. But this year, coming into it, when we played Michigan in November in Las Vegas, and Michigan is Hunter Dickinson, who coming into the year was a preseason All-American. Some people thought he was going to be National College Basketball Player of the Year. You know, it's a big, big center, really, really uh, skilled. And Christian just dominated that matchup and, and we dominated the game. And I think that that was like the moment when Christian kind of woke up and realized, Hey, wow, I can, I can really do this at a high level. Mm-hmm. And as a team, our team realized the same thing. So I, I think that that was probably the breakout game for Christian and the breakout game for our team in general. Um, but yeah, the, I, I'll, I'll never forget his sophomore year. He came in my office and we talked about goals and he said his goal was to be Pac-12 defensive player of the year. And you know what? As a junior, he, he accomplished that goal. And I, I think that that game uh, against Michigan early on, that, that helped him know, hey, man, defensive player of the year, I could be one of the best players in the country. And, and he truly was this year. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. I'm definitely going to go back and check out that specific matchup. Um, now, I think, look, this past season, uh, it, it really came into his own. Um, and, you know, I think some people may point to – um, the, the the change in head coach potentially as um, one of the reasons. Now, of course, I, again, I don't watch a lot of college basketball. I really wouldn't know. But could you describe some of the maybe tactical differences that may have changed between the two head coaches and whether or not that impacted Christian in some way? Yeah, you, you know, Coach Miller is a very good coach. Uh, uh, and he played, he played two bigs just like we played two bigs this year. Uh, much more reliant on on half court sets, more so, and so it wasn't as like we, we would run, but it wasn't as like dedicated running. This year under Coach Lloyd, we're much more dedicated to the fast paced offense, up mm-hmm. and down, rim running. So I, I think that that helped Christian because he got some easier baskets. Whether it was uh, you know just sprinting to the tip of the rim, finding them in transition, early post ups, uh, lobs off of uh, ball screen actions, you know easy finishes at the rim around the basket. And then when, when we had to post him up or he got a back to the basket play, he already had that confidence from scoring earlier to, to where that, you know, that helped him there too. I mean, he's one of the most efficient scorers in the country this year. And, and that efficiency went up each year. And I think a large part to that uh, this year was, was the way coach Lloyd, you know, kind of tailored the offense in terms of fast pace while also trying to get downhill. Right, absolutely. Now, I think 
Um, defensively, that's where people are probably most excited about Christian because you see the ability. I mean, he blocked 2.8 uh, shots per game playing 25 minutes. Right? That's, a, yeah. that's a lot of uh, block shots. And I, I think maybe some people who may be a little bit skeptical might point to the fact that you guys did play two bigs. Uh, but I probably freed him up a little bit to sort of come in from the weak side and and maybe collect a few more blocks rather than maybe if you're only, you're the only big out there. But at the same time, um, from the film, it seemed like he was very defensively aware. And I think that one thing that stands out, again, from the numbers is that he was able to increase his blocks from 1.3 to 2.8 per game, but his fouls were went from 2.7 to 2.8, which I think really shows a, a good awareness in terms of how to defend. So I, I, can you describe sort of the defensive responsibilities that he had in your program this past year? Yeah, so even even as a freshman and sophomore, we, we would switch ball screens at the end of the shot clock. So Christian got pretty adept at switching ball screens at the end of the shot clock. And then this year, with Christian, especially when he played that four for us, we switched him a lot. So he would guard on the perimeter. So some of those block shots are actually him defending perimeter players, mm-hmm. whether they're driving and attacking the basket or jump shots on the perimeter. So, I mean, it makes it even more impressive because he's able to move his feet while keeping his hands up and not fouling. A lot of big guys, a lot of guys with his size and length cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's one of those rare guys that truly can guard on the inside and outside at a high level. Uh, he's not going to be somebody that you're going to have to put on the bench when a team goes small in the playoffs. Like he can, he can switch and, and be really uh, malleable there on the defensive end. And then in the low post, we did give Christian freedom to, you know, come and help uh, obviously attack uh, drives and, and shots at the rim. But the thing that I think is interesting is uh, if he didn't block a shot, he was still able to recover and get rebounds. You know, he was still one of our leading rebounders. Right. He had some monster games for us, especially in the, in the NCAA tournament where he was cleaning up the glass. And there were some times where we'd watch, watch back on film where he'd be like the lone man, like either on the offensive glass or the defensive glass and, you know, in some ways, it's almost a security blanket that our other guys were like looking around, waiting for Christian to go get the rebound. He was that good. So not many shot blockers are contesting the shot, not getting it, and then still getting back to the other side of the glass, being able to secure a rebound. And, and Christian's able to do that. Right. Now, I mean, look, everything, Coach, everything you're saying sounds amazing, which, again, I kind of yeah. goes back to my original question of, like, I don't know how he fell to the second round. Yeah. Like, do you, is it just? I, I, I'm you think telling you right now. Yeah, why? No, I'm telling you. Yeah, as coaches, we did, we don't understand it either. We think he should have been. Obviously, he's a little bit older. Uh, I think he just turned 22. Yeah, he's. But but he should. In our opinion, we thought he was a top 20 guy. You know, mm-hmm. we had two other top 20 guys in Matherin and Dale and Terry who went yep. to the Bulls at 18, and we thought Christian was just as talented. And, and those guys are fantastic. We love them. But uh, you know, if Christian had gone. 13 or 14, we wouldn't have been surprised. We would have thought, yeah, that's, that's probably where he should go. So I, I think part of it is how the pre-draft process goes. I think also part of it is is how big guys are valued nowadays in the NBA. Or um, right. you know, it's not as it's not uh, as valuable as a position as maybe a bigger wing. But I I've said it time and time again. I think the Raptors got an absolute, absolute steal at 33. Uh, I don't care where he was drafted. He's a he's a fantastic young man. He's going to work his tail off and continue to get better and better. And don't expect from day one him to be the answer to any and all issues, mm-hmm. but he's certainly going to be part of the solution in the long run. Yeah, I think for him too, I'm, I'm sure um, for you guys, you guys are pretty happy that he landed in Toronto who 
you know, this is an organization that has a really good reputation for having developed not just prospects in general, but especially this type of prospect where, you know, I think the Raptors have a lot of examples of guys who may have looked a little bit older in terms of at the time of the draft, but uh, were, you know, either late to the game, for example, like a Chris Boucher, like a Pascal Siakam, uh, even like a Precious Achua, and, and they're able to sort of get the best out of them two or three years down the line within their program. So that's really good to hear. Um, Coach, I also want to ask you about, you know, your time with, with the Nuggets, man, because, look, you, you, were, you were around for some pretty pretty good teams. You know, obviously Melo, Chauncey, uh, Marcus Camby, as you mentioned. Like, you, you must have some stories from just that time, and um, I know obviously that was, uh, you know, more than a decade ago now, but uh, you, have, you have some memories from that, that, that time in the NBA and, and, and with that Nuggets team in particular? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was fortunate to spend three years there in Denver uh, uh-huh. with Coach Carl, and and we had great teams. I mean, I was there when we traded for Allen Iverson. I was there with uh, with AI, J.R. Smith, Chauncey Billups, uh, Mello, Camby, uh, Nene. We, we we had just great great guys. Uh, they were competitive, defensive minded. Obviously, in two thousand nine, we lost in the Western Conference Finals yeah. Game Six to the Lakers and Kobe Bryant. But and they won the title uh, that year too. They did. They yeah. did win the title, and, and and it was just an amazing time to be around Denver and the energy in the city. Uh, the Rockies made the World Series back then. So, but right. I'll say one of my favorite memories is just going to Toronto, and and, oh. and I'd go to Toronto with the team, uh, obviously. And then I was an advanced scout for my last year and a half in Denver, and so I was scouted in Toronto quite a bit. And I just absolutely thought, um, you know, the fans, the the games there in Toronto had an unbelievable energy and. And or about them, and I I I loved my time visiting Toronto and, and being part of that city, and I, I can remember some really really big wins. Uh, I, I think Kenya Martin, we did we we guarded Chris Bosh really well one game, and mm. and pulled out a pulled out a tough win in Toronto, and it was one of the like Sunday matinee games, and and oh, everybody yeah. was going crazy in the locker room. So it would always made it uh, better when we were getting on the plane afterwards with the W, but. The Raptors have always had amazing fans, and and you're lucky to have have that team there, and they're lucky to have you as fans. Yeah, thank you for saying that. No, I I, I was gonna say, um, I'm surprised that you guys took one of those matinee games on Sunday because uh, I know yeah. the Raptors always had a really nice advantage because they would play at like 1 p.m. Eastern on a Sunday, yep. and I know yep. like you know, I mean, the reputation is out there that the players have a good time in Toronto. It's 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 very friendly for sort of that kind of activity and especially if teams were able to fly in Saturday night and then have to play that matinee game. The Raptors had a very, very good record in those games. So, um, yeah, definitely some good times. Actually, you know what? Actually, uh, I want to ask you, did you cross paths with Masai at any point in Denver or was that sort of still? I I, I did. I did. I I worked with Masai a little bit when I was first in Denver. Uh, Masai was awesome. I mean, he still is, obviously. He's fantastic. And, and Dan Tolzman, who works in the front office there mm. for the Raptors, was with us in Denver, and he's actually an Arizona grad. So oh. I, I, I have good good relationships there in Toronto. There's great people, and and obviously Masai has proven to be one of the best at, at what he does in the world, and and not just not just for the Raptors, but also what he's done for the continent of Af- Africa and yep. the basketball without borders, and uh, just the leagues that have developed, um, you know, with his kind of push and influence, uh, along with many others, but. It's it's amazing what Masai's done for the game of basketball. It's really inspiring, and he talked about it like he would. He was doing some of that stuff back when he was working for the Nuggets, mm. and mm. you know he had a vision and he's accomplished a lot of uh, of what he set out to do. 
Yeah, he's he is truly one of those people that you you get around them and they have an aura about them and they have like a wisdom and like a, a long term perspective on things. And it's, it's, I guess to you probably is no surprise that he's he's become so successful in his career. And uh, obviously he did a good job in Denver and then came to Toronto and and is doing a great job here. So. Coach, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate all the the stories and the insight into Christian. Um, and, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing how he progresses. And uh, best of luck with the season next year. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. And and good luck in your pursuit of uh, of new players as well. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. If, if that happens, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, that's that, that, I swear that will be the only thing we'll talk about on this station. But. Anyway, thank you, Coach. I'm sure. Yeah, have a great day. Bye. <laughs> All right. That was uh, associate head coach of the Arizona Wildcats, Jack Murphy, uh, giving us some really great insight into the Raptors. Uh, rookie and um, also a little bit about, you know, just the NBA. And, uh, yeah, those are some great teams, honestly. That 9 run by the Nuggets, the amount of talent, especially offensively on that team, was, was really, really fun to watch. Um, they gave Kobe a really good battle. Um, they gave the Lakers a really good battle, but especially Kobe versus Melo. You go back and watch some of those games. I mean, old prime Melo in that uh, in that jersey, the powder blue Denver. I mean, that thing was like everywhere. Like you literally saw people wear that everywhere. Um, and those were some really, really good teams. So it was really good to reminisce a little bit uh, with Coach about that. Now, we are going to go to the break, but before we do that, I want to let you know that if you are in the Toronto area or want to watch some basketball this week, you can catch the inaugural Global Jam Showcase the first of its kind, it's an international event. They're taking over the Madame Athletic Center from July 5th to 10th. And uh, Sportsnet is serving up full court coverage of the debut men's and women's under 23 basketball showcase. You can catch all the action starting at 11 a.m. Eastern. Ben Shulman and Javon Shepard serve you the daytime coverage all week. And tonight you can watch the women's round robin between Belgium and Canada on Sportsnet at 6 p.m. Eastern by the men's round robin between Brazil and Canada on Sportsnet 1 with friends of the program, Matt Devlin, Amy Otterberg, who will deliver the call. So we will take that break. I'm your host, William Liu, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan, I'm your host, Wim Lou. Joining me for the second segment today is a friend of the program, Andy Lou from the Light Years Podcast. What's up, Andy? Congrats on the championship. You guys won again. Hooray. What's going on, man? I told you I'd call you after the, the Warriors won the championship. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't get any better. You know, yeah, all, we, all we talk about is ranking championships. I know you got me on to talk KD, so... Everybody ranks the KD championships at the bottom. So it's a fitting time, right, to talk about uh, another. It's also ironic, by the way, that Toronto won a championship in between the the Warriors dynasty with a guy that they got for a year. Mm. And uh, mm. it looks like they might get a guy that they can win a championship with again. And who knows how long he's going to stay. Like, I could see Durant coming for you. Anyway, I know that's not. We're not there yet. But yeah. thank you yeah. for the congratulations. I, I was. It felt like I was in the parade, you know. Yeah, look, listen, uh, officially, the official reason to get you on was we wanted the Otto Porter Jr. Scotty report, obviously. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need we need an in-depth breakdown on what Otto Porter Jr.'s game is like. But no, but even before that, though, I, I wanted to ask you, like, yeah, man, uh, how'd you celebrate? 
you know, keep in I, mind that this is live radio, but I mean, like, still, like, how'd you celebrate, man? So, let, let me know. Yeah, I got, I got to keep it PG-ish. You know, sadly enough, I had COVID. Um, I oh, caught it. No. I know. I, so I didn't have really bad symptoms, actually. So I, I barely had anything, but I had to quarantine, right? So really what I did was just drink a lot by myself. Yeah, and, that's uh, the cure. Yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, it is the cure. Yeah. yeah, it didn't help me actually get any better, but I was happy. You know, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. When I, I, I'll, I'll fully admit this. When Steph... You know, it's a, the scene now when Steph was crying, he fell to the ground and, and end the game six. You know, yeah. I, I got to admit, I don't know if it was COVID or not. I don't know if it was the sixth shot of, of whatever it was I was drinking, but uh, I was, I was tearing up, man. It was, uh, yeah. it was a good moment. I tell you that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't tear up at all. The, the, the first three and the, this one, this one felt different. So. Yeah, no, seriously. It was, uh, I mean, we look we, on this program. Our stance was very clear. It was, uh, we were not going to root for Boston, so we were definitely going to root for the Warriors. And yeah, man, I mean, even the start of Game Six, it was looking tough. Not going to lie to you, it was looking really tough. You guys were not making, you guys weren't even getting shots up. I felt like, and the Celtics, yeah. as always, come out looking like they're this dominant team. And then, of course, you guys hit them with that twenty-one to nothing run. And uh, yeah, the game was over. I, I guess you guys got you. You probably were just chilling and enjoying for the entire second, the whole second half. I don't know if you were like nervous, but for me, I'm like the Warriors really won again. Like the whole second no. half, I'm just soaking it in. You know. I stopped getting nervous, funny enough, and not to be arrogant. I stopped getting nervous. Not at the to end be of arrogant. Game four. What do you mean, bro? What do you mean? <laughs> it, it was over after game four. It, okay, it was okay. over. Like, that yeah. was the game where, yeah. obviously, if the Warriors lose, you know, series is most likely over. But they won that game behind Steph, and uh, it, it felt to me, it's like, well, they're not losing at home. They already choked one away. They're not choking another one. And, and the Warriors do this thing. You know, you've, we've watched them all for so long. They do this thing where once they figure you out, it's over. And they figured Boston out in game four, and it was over, even though Boston was up late. Mm. But just defensively, they had figured that Boston offense out. Um, and, and when that happens, we saw it against Memphis. We saw it against Cleveland. In my opinion, I thought they, they did it against Toronto a little bit. I thought they figured Toronto out, especially Kawhi in 2019. Yep. They just ran out. I agree. There. So, I, you know, once they do that, they're, they're good. So I never thought it was going to go seven games. But, hey, believe me, man, midway through game four, I, I – I, I actually don't even think I remember that game watching it live, but I've rewatched it many times. And, uh, man, I, that might have been yeah. Steph's kind of stamped number one playoff performance, just with yeah. the stakes that had. Yeah, no more, no more Steph slander ever, ever yeah. again. Although you know it'll come back, and I, I know it'll come back, and it'll, uh, you know, it'll get you guys riled up. It'll get Steph riled up. I, I love seeing the uh, the Warriors. Um, what after they won the championship, the amount of just like shots they took back at people. Steph was doing it. Clay was doing it. Uh, Draymond obviously will do yeah. it no matter what. I think Draymond probably would have taken shots even though he lost. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was honestly just as a as a temporary Warrior fan, it was it was very enjoyable to watch, and I can't believe you got to root for them all the time. So I mean, I guess you know the last question about the Warriors is just like, do you think you guys are favorites again for next year? Losing GP two is pretty big. Yeah, uh, losing Otto Porter is pretty big too. Like those, mm. we but the Warriors thought they would lose Otto Porter. I think they knew he'd be gone. Um, great signing, by the way. Um, but with GP2, that's a tough one. I, I would say they're still the favorites. I think a lot of it depends on how much better Moody and Kaminga get. Mm -hmm. Basically, those are their number eight, nine guys now. And uh, I thought Moody could have played more in the postseason. Kaminga, it's like, I don't know. I, who knows? He could be incredible. He could not. like To me, yeah. I comp him to Pascal Siakam. I mean, I, I, I did that not just because I'm on the show now. But yep. like he has that upside. And Siakam was an all-NBA player, in my opinion, last season. So... Um, I, I would think they're the favorite of Warriors fan. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. always no, where I mean, I'm going like, to go. Objectively, plus, you guys just won, man. It's not like you guys lost, like, core pieces. 
you know? The, the two Plus, you guys got Dante, you know? Like, come on, man. Yeah. Oh, man, I would love to hear a scouting report on Dante DiVincenzo. <laughs> I haven't watched him since Milwaukee, so it's like, it's tough, even though Sack's right up the street for me. But it's just like, I, I don't I don't watch Sack games, and it's like the guy's been uh-huh. hurt. So we'll see, right? If he's, I don't know, 70% of the defender Gary Payton is, mm-hmm. they'll be fine. Yeah. But who knows? GP2 is a top three defender in the NBA. I mean, top two maybe. Just wow. ridiculous defender. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they do. But again, like it's all as long as they get in the postseason and, and Steph and Clay and Draymond are healthy, these guys will be fine. Yeah, it's no surprise that he uh, Portland took you guys or took him from <laughs> you guys because Portland's been trying to copy you guys this whole time. Then they also For try years. to chase Draymond as well. So you know, yeah, they'll try to get KD too. That's what they'll, yeah. they'll try to do. They want the discount warriors around discount stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway. We're here to talk that's better, about. That's a better way that I could put it. Shoot, <laughs> we got a uh, yeah. We got to talk about Otto Porter, man. So okay, yeah. So you, as you mentioned, smart signing for the Raptors. I agree. Um, Short term deal. Uh, I'm, honestly, I was a little surprised he didn't get the full bed level. Um, I thought at first that's what he was gonna get, but as it turns out, he kind of got slightly more than the taxpayer. So he got like six point five, maybe seven. Um, mm. uh, whereas I thought he would probably get closer to ten. But in any case, short term contract, a reliable veteran. Yeah, just obviously he was only on the Warriors for this past year, right? But um, can you describe, like, the role he played and sort of just, like, what's the best way to use a guy like Otto Porter? Love him. Absolutely love him. Uh, When the Warriors got him last season for the vet men, it was the perfect signing. I I remember thinking, wow, this guy signed here for this. I think he had mid-level, taxpayer mid-level offers last season, probably for a really bad team. Mm. Um, So he took a discount to play for the Warriors. It worked out. But like you said, like, I thought he'd get more. I thought he'd get, like, maybe two years, 25 or something like that. But um, he got what he got because he just – he couldn't stay healthy even though he lasted throughout the season. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the bad. He played 60-plus games, but he also was – was um he didn't play very much like 20 plus minutes a game yeah. they were very very um uh they load managed him right like to the max even when he was yeah. at a slight strain or something like that they keep him out for a week that that's just what the warriors do nowadays they they just keep guys out all the time but i think that's right. it was a perfect spot for auto porter so you you don't want to see him play 30 plus minutes you don't want to see him play 70 plus games if it's great it's great if that happens if it's not good for his body even though he's under 30 years old yeah um for the good stuff, though, so much good stuff. He's a, a very good passer. He's If you have an offensive system, he's going to be able to function within that system. He's extremely smart, uh, both offensively and defensively. For the Warriors, you know, I, I'm used to watching just super smart players play. Yeah. Otto Porter was up there in terms of one of the smartest guys, um, especially uh, especially offensively. Just knows how to pass the ball, and he's a great shooter. I mean, you give him an open shot, it's going in every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing it's he's under, underrated on is rebounding. Had no idea that this dude was <laughs> was a great rebounder, mm-hmm. but he became just an elite offensive, defensive rebounder, especially in the postseason. Um, so you're probably looking at playing him at the four. The Warriors even got away with playing him a little bit at the five sometimes. Yeah. He's too slow now to play any of the three positions. He, he got his max contract, if you remember, way back when, because yep. he could guard twos, threes, and fours. Mm-hmm. Now it's like he could pretty much only guard fours and fives and he could only pretty much play four and five, but he's still extremely valuable, uh, both sides of the ball doing that. No, that's great to hear, man. And I, I think that's the thing, too, for, for people who are, you know, excited about the signing. Like, I, I don't think there's any expectations that he's going to start for the Raptors, but I think it's a, it's a really nice depth piece. I think he's going to fit into the team nicely. Um, and... You know, it, just even looking at the box score, it seems like basically you guys just didn't play him on back-to-backs. Like, no. you guys rested him for every back-to-back. Um, that's the way to keep him healthy, and I think that uh, it wouldn't be a surprise if the Raptors kind of continued that sort of strategy. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it seemed like he was pretty happy playing a role, though, which I think is probably the most important thing for me is just like, I'm surprised he took this deal um, just because I think he probably could have gotten a little bit more, but it seems like he really values like the the team and the fit that he's in. And, and you know, if you're one of those guys who wants to win, then it's easy to sort of plug and play those kind of guys. Yeah. I, his wife is from Toronto, I think. I, I think I saw that. You know, I, you know what? Is... Oddly, Andy, I've heard conflicting reports. It's not. Is it not true? I don't know. Apparently it's not. I don't. I've wow. been told it's true, and I've been told it's not true. So I think we eventually got to call his wife or call him at least. <laughs> Maybe ask him at some point. I, the Warriors had a vetman out for him. I think Otto yeah, yeah. wanted to come back. I, the Warriors only were going to pay him a vetman, which is yeah. I mean, wow, it's, no more checkbook uh, wins, huh? Yeah, kind of disrespectful. That's, a well, that's why they lost GP too. I mean, mm. it really is a checkbook loss. I mean, they they didn't want to pay GP either. So. I think he wants to stay in a winning organization. The dude's made so much money in his career. The thing for him was like staying in a winning organization and yeah. playing a style that made sense for him. Like he doesn't want, he doesn't want to stay in a hey let's let's pound the rock and heliocentric. Like he's not going to Dallas, right? Like, he's not mm. playing with guys like him. Not going to not going to play with guys like um, James Harden. So I, I think Toronto it, it's a good fit. Plus. He joins the uh, 16 wing guys that you have. Yeah. He's probably going to be able to play a little bit more. Like You can play him. You could slot him next to Scotty Barnes. You yeah. can go small that way. Maybe maybe next to Pascal, too. Or you can go jumbo, get all three of those guys out there. Oh, we'll do that. Keep o- OG on the floor. But, I mean, I love this Toronto team. I loved it last season. I almost – I know you're going to ask me about KD. I almost don't want you guys to make that move because I just love the the the, <laughs> the bunch of wings that you have and how they can play together. So, I, look, I think Otto is a perfect fit for you guys, especially when it comes to the postseason – Okay. Um, he's not a shot creator though. That's, that's the thing is like, he won't get any looks. So I think there's still a weakness there at Toronto, but other than that, man, the guy yeah. has perfect fit. No, that's like the main issue with the Raptors. It's just like, I think defensively yeah. they're already really, yeah. really good. Um, but that offensive creation that you specially need in the playoff setting, yep. that's where yep. I do see Pascal will struggle at times. Or even if it's not, honestly, this past year, Pascal is pretty good at creation against the Sixers. It's just like he had no secondary option really reliably around him. And even for him, he's probably more natural of like he'll be really good for you like three out of six games in the series versus like I think you need a guy who's going to be great for you like five out of six games in a series, which is a guy like Kevin Durant. And we have reached that portion where I need a Kevin Durant consult from uh, from from Asian podcaster to Asian podcaster. Like, yeah, so honestly, like how, how annoying would oh, it be? <laughs> We know okay, we know the benefits. I don't need you to come in and tell me like how good KD yeah. is. Obviously, we saw Pete KD with the Warriors. You guys were, you know, invincible. Even when he came back briefly in that series in 2019, he had what 11 points in 13 minutes, or maybe 13 points in 11 minutes. And that's fresh off of injury. And obviously he was still banged up and he unfortunately got hurt. Like, we know all the positives. Everyone should know what the positives of Kevin Durant on your team is. I need to know what are the negatives. <laughs> What's the baggage? Uh, I don't, I'm not asking you to hate on him. I'm just asking, like, no. realistically, what are things that you might expect from Kevin that you might not necessarily expect from having, let's say, an ordinary player? Yeah, two two things. Let's let's talk about Kevin as as he is to with with fans, right? How, mm. how he interacts there, and then as he is with with the team. So it's gonna be great season one. It's always great. You get a top fifteen player of all time. He is just two time for all that stuff. It's gonna be absolutely incredible okay. he's going to look amazing next to the guys that you have next to you you are instantly the best team in the eastern conference probably depending on who you give up probably the nba title favorites it's gonna be great year one so there's gonna this be no great. complaints there yeah, no there's gonna be absolutely yeah. none uh-huh. and then it's like it's like the honeymoon phase like this guy is the peak of honeymoon phases mm. once that first year ends 
He's going to be miserable for reasons only known to him. Nobody knows why he's miserable. Uh, he's going to be moody. He's going to be uh, just kind of very odd, very withdrawn. I, I compare him to kind of just like just like a teenager almost. Emotionally, like I always say the guy needs a therapist or he just needs someone that he can talk to because he's just so odd and not in a bad way. He's not doing anything bad, by yeah, the way. Yeah. No, he's I, good I, in no. the community. He's good to meet good people. Mm-hmm. He's just mentally exhausting for people to be around, and that's both fans and players, but especially the players and organizations. I'll flip it over to that side. He spent the last year with the Warriors essentially not talking to anyone. Why? That though? last season. Like- yeah. Why? Is there a reason? Like, was there like, I know obviously people point to like the, the Clipper game where him and Draymond used. No, it was before that. Before, like it started before that. That's what it kind of feels like. Cause it, that's, that's like an irrational reaction to like a fairly right. innocuous play. Um, right. Like Draymond lost control. And it's like, it's not because of that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right? It's because it's, of the what and everybody. So it's, it started after the first season is what it started. It, it started when the Warriors won the championship and Kevin, I think, expected people to immediately anoint him as the best player in the world mm-hmm. and not for people to criticize the way that he won a championship. The Warriors themselves, they don't really care that much. Like Steph playing Draymond, they've talked to KD already this week, and they've like, hey, if you want to come back, like we're, mm-hmm. we're for it. Like They don't care. They know that at the end of the day, if we just win, we're good. Like yeah. we, 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 People will criticize us no matter what we do. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But with Kevin... It affected him after that first title, and then after that, it was downhill. He stopped playing the system that the Warriors wanted him to play, which right. made them the greatest team of all time. Then it kind of ended in a very weird second season. They won the championship anyway, but if you remember, they were down 3-2 to Houston, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons they were down was because they just – KD just wanted to ISO every single play yeah. and essentially took a – so anyway, I'm not going to that, but like that, that – was the second season. And then the third season was when he just kept signing one and ones and mm-hmm. the Warriors knew he was leaving. And, and then that just became as a team that won so many titles that has won before him, it became just mentally crushing for the Warriors. And, and here's the crazy part. He's so darn good. If he had just stayed healthy, they would have won three in a row. And then he would have left anyway. Yeah. Then probably. that's Kevin Durant. He does not care. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, see, this is why I needed this consult because again, like, this is the stuff that you're not gonna see on basketball reference. You know what I'm saying? But look, if I were to offer some sort of rebuttal, I would say maybe look, this, that was Kitty in his 20s. You know, he's gonna turn 34 at some point this season. Maybe, maybe he's a changed man. Maybe he's just got to settle down with the right organization. You know, like the Raptors. You know, I mean, I you know, honestly, it was interesting because I, I was remembering the last time you were on. Right, I think it was after the the Warriors lost Game One of the finals and. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, right? We, we're still pretty confident the Warriors are still going to win. Um, but I think we actually had a conversation about KD, and you were talking about how, like, the personality f- at that time, just between, like, KD's personality and what he wanted to do, like, off the court, and just, like, the kind of the way he wanted to live life was a little different from, like, the rest of the Warriors at that time. You know, Steph being a parent, Draymond being a parent, Clay doing Clay things, and we're not going to go deeper into just clay things assorted clay mm-hmm. activities okay um and andre obviously being a little older wanting to play golf on and it just didn't feel like the personality was kind of fitting like right i mean right. is that also still a thing for him like is he still just looking for that as well because i don't even know if the raptors will offer him that by the way like i mean the raptors are fairly tight-knit as a group but i i, I don't know man what's it what's it gonna take Toronto's to make this guy got a good happen? nightlife scene sure. okay yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the is that what he wants that's the you know, because... Uh, <laughs> okay, so you, you hit on something, by the way. You hit on something I want to talk about a okay. little bit. 
of the personalities that that KD came for. So he the, he came to the Warriors thinking, and this is not that they're not a family, but he came to Warriors thinking that he was going to be able to build into something like a family with the guys that the Warriors had essentially kind of from the ground up. And mm-hmm. now you can kind of understand why he went to Brooklyn. The problem with that, like you said, though, is that, dude, Steph had kids already. Clay does his own thing. Steph, Clay barely hangs out with anyone with the Warriors unless it's the season. Draymond, I mean, Draymond now, like even then he was doing his own, his own stuff. But, and, and he had a, a kids and, and, and a fiance, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, those – and Andre is just old. He just doesn't – he doesn't go out. He's not 23. Not he's an investor, anymore. baby. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a capitalist. And, and I think KD <laughs> – Sorry. That's Andre, man. By the way, his podcast is so much better than Draymond's. It's it's oh, actually man. ridiculous. It, as as much fanfare as Draymond gets for his pod, yeah. um, which kind of speaks to, to to those guys. But KD wanted that, and I think when he realized that he couldn't get it, that was one of the main reasons why he went to Ky- uh, to to Brooklyn with Kyrie. And you know, then you figure out you actually can't uh, build something together with a, with a guy like Kyrie because I think KD can actually do it. Yes, I think KD I can't do it. I just I don't think Kyrie can. I mean, we know Kyrie can. So with Toronto, I don't know. I don't know the players of Toronto. I don't know where they are in the phase of their lives. I don't know if that's what KD wants. I, I do think KD wants. I think I do think KD wants something like what Steph got this season. I will say that. Um, what does that mean? Like and Steph wants, worldwide praise, like everyone loving you and yeah. recognizing that you're a top ten kind of guy. Like because he has that. Ta- I think absolutely has that talent and ability. But it's weird when you think about like the idea of Kevin Durant and also just like what he's done in his career, seven footer, arguably one of the top five scorers of all time. You can even make a case. He is the best and most skilled scorer of all time based on his body and his, his ability to shoot and score and create. There's nothing on the court he can't do. And yet when you think about like the, the overall accomplishments that he's made, like the fact that he has those two chips with the Warriors, he was like probably the most productive player on those teams, although you could probably still make this argument that, that Steph was more important systematically. But it's like that is like the only two things on his career that it's like if you look back at it, you are all, honestly you might be a little underwhelmed. Just based I, on the I talent. Always say you know if, it, if it wasn't if he wasn't on the Warriors, he would just be like a like a much better version of Car- Carmelo Anthony or like Tracy McGrady. Like yeah. I have always said that and it's kind of sad, right? And I always say this to 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 people with Kevin. It's like, dude, if you wanted this recognition, if you wanted to go to a place to do this, then why did you go to Golden State? Then? Why did you do that? Because yeah. I could have told you before that happened that you shouldn't do this, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, you went to Golden State, and then all of a sudden he saw this criticism coming that he didn't know was coming. Mm-hmm. No, we knew that was coming. Everybody knew that if you're going to a team that won a championship yes. and had won 73 games before, that you're going to get that criticism. If you thought that you could get above that, that's not happening. Yeah. And so that's why it always made that decision so curious. I'm, I'm still happy about it because yeah, the I mean, day, on, you know, <laughs> it worked out for the Warriors. <laughs> arguably but... the greatest basketball team of all time, that 2017 team. I, I ranked that championship higher than most because of yeah. that. Because I got to sit here and I relaxed. For 365 days from July to July, July 4th to July, like I saw this team just go through. And that LeBron Kyrie team was one of the best teams. They oh, were yeah. better than the than they were the season before. And they got smacked. It was not even close. Yeah. Um, they only won because the the because uh the refs cheated in, in game four and called like 80 fouls <laughs> in the first quarter. Like just really disgusting. Oh my stuff. god. But um I love it. But anyway, yeah. 
Anyway, I, I don't know what, what's going to make uh, KD happy, man. But I do think that when you talk about, about systems and, mm-hmm. and organizations and cultures, I mean, who's better than Toronto? I mean, Golden State, right? But like yeah. Miami. But other than that, like it's Toronto. Yeah, I know. Like those are the top three cultures in the NBA. Fair enough. Fair enough. Listen, man, I can't wait for Kevin to come to this organization. I guess my last question, we only got a minute left, is uh, is there anything yeah. as, a, as a podcaster, as a media personality that I got to avoid? I just don't want to alienate KD. You know the way you did. Uh, he's gonna be listening to the show uh, oh, every man. chance he gets. Yo, Katie, you're oh. a goat, bro. You're the goat. You're way better than Steph, man. <laughs> Steph's six two. Oh, he'll love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Call, call, call. Uh, he, he he thinks Kyrie's better than Steph. No, I, yeah, yeah, I look, yeah. man. As, the bag is deeper. He, <laughs> the, the guy will <laughs> the most skilled player of all time. The guy listens to everything. Every okay. player listens to everything. Okay. But like, yeah. like there's a difference between like Steph listens <clears throat> to everything that people send him. So people send him like right. a 10 second clip of yeah. like something. KD will listen to a podcast okay. for 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Like that's the difference. Okay. Like that man will, will has no life. He is in there. He is hooping and Yo, listening to your takes. <laughs> I, you know, I wish you were that, joking. If he ever comes I, back to the Warriors, I'm all in. If he yeah. ever comes back to the Warriors, I'm all in. Bro. Yeah. No, you got to apologize, man. You got to apologize. They might have to <laughs> no sacrifice way. you no. in the deal. Like, they, they'll trade you to Brooklyn or something. That's <laughs> <laughs> not bad. That's yeah. not bad. Brooklyn's not bad. They got Asians in Brooklyn. All right, look, man. Andy, <laughs> I could talk to you all day, but I got to let you go, man, before we, we talk Thanks, about stuff. So I appreciate you, man. Take That's... care. And congrats on the championship again. Seriously, I hope you celebrate oh. to the full extent, man. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you, man. Take care. <laughs> All right. That was Andy Lou, Warriors Twitter legend. Uh, and, yeah, that does it for us today. I'm your host, Will Lou. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe and please rate and review our show. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks again to my guests, uh, Coach Shaq Murphy, Andy Lou. Our board producer, Derek Brandale and Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. And, uh, yeah, I'll be back tomorrow probably to talk about Kevin Durant again. I know it's uh, it's never going to end.